So Corinth is a holy people trying to get it holy right in a crazy mixed up world, but making plenty of mistakes on the way. Speaking of church life, that sounds pretty standard to any church I've ever been to. Does that like kind of describe just about every church? And then there it is. This is a lovely church building, you know? <laughs> but, but I mean, I, we could sit on this slide and just commentate on all the cultural significance behind that. But, but we also know, and this is a kind of going back to that story I was telling you earlier, is that a church, there's, and we see a lot of the mentality of, of people who still, and a lot of it is churches, I don't wanna say they're dying, but they're definitely diminishing in numbers and in impact, is that they kind of put an emphasis on a building. Still, to this day, 21st century, church has never been a building. Church has never, ever been a building. That's not the church, guys. That's not the church. And we all know what the church is. It's people. We're a group of people. Church is not a building. And people still, in, to this day, still get that confused. Ah, you know, I go to this, this building. Now, you know, we need a building because we meet and it, if it rains, it'd be horrible, you know. But the church met, you know, Covenanters, you know, out by the Fortress at Rock in Shots, out in the open, out in the open. The church was a, was a rock, you know, that, for, for how long? That's kind of ironic as well because Jesus Christ is a rock, right? He's a rock. He's a cornerstone. He's a foundation. So, so it is. It's, it's people meeting for the sake of communing with each other and with Jesus Christ. That's the church. So, so, so we try. We try hard. But sometimes we make mistakes. And that's what Corinth's all about. They're, they make plenty of scree mistakes. So let's get right into it. First, we meet a fella. We know Paul. We've met Paul time and time again. So we know Paul. But we also have this other guy called him Sosthenes, Okay. And so in Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 1, 1, um, we're off the bat, Paul, called by the will of God, and we can sit and we can talk about what that means to be called by the will of God. It's something we, we emphasize, something we, we value at Cornerstone, is that we, we, we need to find God's will. It's God's kingdom come, his will be done. So I don't care who, who, who where your role is in the church, where you feel your role is in the church, you got to know what it is that God wants you to do. What is his will in your life and your church and in your life, you know, your little world, you know, wherever it may be. So here's Paul, he's, also, he's called, he's an apostle, which means a sent out one for Christ, Jesus, and also his brother, Sosthenes, okay? So when I see some, something that kind of sticks out, something a little bit out of the ordinary. So, so for many of us, maybe Sosthenes sticks out. It's like, ooh, who's this Sosthenes guy? We need to ask, who, what do we know about him? And that would be a good question. What do we know about Sosthenes, okay? His name means savior of his nation. Savior of his nation. And the thing is, Jesus Christ, you know, a lot of these names are, are, are indicators or pointers towards the Messiah. And Jesus Christ certainly is the Messiah, and he is the Savior of the nations. Which is also kind of funny, because the church, especially at this time, you know, Paul has reached out more to the Gentiles than the Jews, especially with the story we're going to read here. We're going to see that he's getting really frustrated with the Jews and his treatment by them. And so the nation, the nation, now the nation singular, Israel, but also God, Jesus, the Messiah is uh, savior of the nations, plural as well. And we're going to see that unfold with, this, with, with the unfolding of the church plant, if you want to call it that, uh, in, in Corinth. So, Sothenes is a Jew. 
at Corinth who, who was uh, seized and beaten in the presence of um, Gallio. Uh, a certain Christian associate of Paul. So that's kind of the textbook definition of who he is. Let's read the story because we are looking at a book from, from, from scratch. The book is 1 Corinthians and we're, and we're meeting Sosthenes and we're gonna see him also in this story. If you want to turn your Bibles here to Acts 18.1, you can. If not, I will put the, the, the verses up on the screen. I'm not gonna put all of the Corinth verses up on the screen so we can still remember to use our Bibles. But for now, if you want to stay in Corinth, you can look up at the screen in Acts 18.1. Paul left Athens in his missionary journeys and he went to Corinth. So after Athens came Corinth. Paul was occupied with the word, fantastic, uh, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. Again, his focus, his job is to reach out to the Jews in the area, in the world, the known world, if you will, at the time, to, to, to testify what Jesus has done. And in verse six, when they opposed and um, reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So here he is, Paul is frustrated. He's kind of getting bored with the same old treatment. You know, it's like, what, what, what's wrong? Why are you not understanding? Why are you not getting it? It's like, don't you know your Bible? Don't you know the Messiah? Don't you know what Jesus has done? I'm just giving you some good news, but I'm getting treated poorly and I'm kind of bored of it. I don't want to get beat up anymore. I don't want to be mistreated by you guys anymore. So in verse seven, he left there and went to the house of a man named um, uh, Titius Justus, you know, a very Gentile name right there, a worshiper of God. So here's a Gentile, here's a non-Jewish person with a very, um, you know, um, Grecio-Roman name. And he was a worshiper of God, not a worshiper of a God, not a worshiper of a multitude of gods, not a worshiper of a false gods, but for somehow in some way he understood uh, more about the true God than these people who are supposed to know about God, these chosen people, these people who are loved and adored by God. So these people loved and adored by God don't know God, but the stranger, he's a worshiper of God. So Paul's just taking this in and he's like, what do I do here, God? This is a funny situation. Why in the world is this happening? And this man, his house it was next door to the synagogue. Maybe that's how he knew God. There were people going to the synagogue who were supposed to be worshipers of God, but somehow this man, just by his proximity to the synagogue, knew God, you know, because it's just God's grace. We're gonna talk about God's grace quite a lot today, by the way. So this guy, Crispus, that sounds awesome. We shouldn't make a donut company named after him, you know, uh, Crispus. Crispus, Crispus the Cremus, you know, Greek-style donuts. Okay, the ruler of the synagogue, so this man, Crispus, Okay, he uh, believed in the Lord. Okay, here's another fellow. He's a rule of the synagogue. So he's actually, maybe again, this is the proximity. Maybe, maybe so many people are coming in and out not getting it. But this guy who's a leader, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, Jesus is right. It makes sense. And then and this influence, you know, to this Gentile man, it's positive. That's great. This is already, we see positive things happening in Corinth, don't we? Uh, so again, this Christmas guy, the ruler of the synagogue, he believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, uh, or sorry, the, the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So here we go. Even though he was very frustrated, you know, with what was going on. And this is why I put this asterisk here by the Gentiles. Big and risky changes. He made, you know what I'm saying? Because of his relationship with God, 
being a man who was called according to the will of God, he saw a situation and he made a very risky, brave choice. That's it. I'm gonna change the way I do things. And that sometimes we have to change the way we do things. And it could be a big risk and it could be a big challenge. And it can be very unpopular for ourselves, for our family, for others around us. But here we see, because of this big risky change, that God's actually bringing people together. And that's the other asterisk I put there. Verse before verse nine. And as a consequence, it says in nine, and the Lord said to Paul, when I in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And it's nice to know that God will give us strength and God will give us, uh, you know, his mercy and God will give us his presence, you know, when, you know, doing these risky, brave things, you know, you know, Paul's like, that's it. I'm going to re- start reaching out to a different group of people. And this is going to be, I'm going to be very unpopular with the Jews because they are going to take a great offense to it. But you know what? God spoke to him in a dream. He woke him up and said, hey, or maybe he didn't wake him up. Maybe he just, again, spoke to him while he was sleeping because it's a dream. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm your source of strength. And here, a local church is born, the Corinth, Corinthians church. No one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when um, Gallio was proconsul, which means peacekeeper or sheriff or governor of um, Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Again, like Paul was worried about, you know, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the Jewish people in the area, you know, uh, are, are, are gonna like this, this fact that he's actually sharing the gospel with these non-Jewish Gentile people. And they're, of course, as they do say, it's against our law. And so he's breaking the law of the Jewish people and, and something needs to be done about it. Uh, verse 14, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileans to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of question about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And so they all seized Sosthenes, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. So again, scapegoats. They blame this guy, Sosthenes. They take him out and they beat him. And then this fellow, Galileo, who just ignored it, he paid no attention to it. So here's Sosthenes. Here's the first encounter we have with him, this exciting, interesting, risky, brave, challenging church plant in, um, in Corinth. And he's basically used as a scapegoat for the Jews because of their uh, dislike and what's going on in Corinth. They, they seize him and they beat him up. After this, Paul stayed for many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with them Priscilla and Aquila. So then that's the story of Corinth really in Acts and how things start to kick off in, in Corinth. So now what I wanna do is just kind of with our Bibles now um, opened, look at 1 Corinthians 1 to 3 and look at these verses and kind of um, take them apart just a wee bit. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God 
and our brother Sosthenes, the scapegoat, the one who gets beat up. <laughs> Sometimes as a brother of growing, you know, you know, servant of God, you know, sometimes we, don't, we kind of feel like we're, you know, getting the raw end of the deal, you know, <laughs> thanks, you know, getting beat up, you know. But anyways, so to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified. Now here's the word, interesting. I love this start of First Corinthians. That's why I named this title, this, this, this service, you know, people, you know what I call it, uh, who were... Oh, geez, what did I say? Um, that's right, holy. They're holy, and that's it, sanctified, set apart, holy. Different kinds of people, you know? Um, I lost my title. Let's just go back, rewind it. A holy people trying to get a holy right in a crazy mixed up world, but making plenty of mistakes. So and this is where I got that from, from this verse right here. Okay, it's Church of God in Corinth to those sanctified. And I'm gonna unfold that idea, the concept of being sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. There you go, holy, sanctified, holy, together with all of those everywhere who call on the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is very specific about what he's, about a, a role, a calling of being sanctified or being holy and the calling for all people all over who rely on Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ. So we're gonna look at what this means to be sanctified holy and, and what is it in terms of being a part of this greater thing called the church. Verse three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, sanctified, holy, holy, to be holy together. And with that, I put this funny picture of this funny guy here because I think we should all start dressing like that and getting a haircut like that because we're saints. That's, this is what, and this is not an isolated portion of scriptures. This is consistent in, in all of Paul's writing. He's like, man, guys, you are set apart. You are holy people who belong to God. You call on the name of Jesus Christ, you are set apart. And that's what a saint is. A saint is a person who is set apart. What does it mean then to be a saint? Well, this is what it means, what we're seeing here in 1 Corinthians 1. To the church of God, as in Corinth, to those sanctified, sanctified, okay? Hagiatso, to render or acknowledge to be venerable or hollow, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. Consecrate things to God, dedicate people to God, to purify, to cleanse externally, to purify, um, yeah, and so on and so forth. To be set apart, to be sanctified for God, for the use of God. That's the idea of what a saint is, what it means to be sanctified. Unfortunately, there's a brand of the church that for somehow, some way, because of the way how people behave, including the people in Corinth, that it's hard to believe that we are set apart. The way we act makes many people wonder, well, geez, oh, we can't be set apart. We can't be saints if we still act in such a way. So therefore, a saint is not people over the church, but people who have died <laughs> and can no longer mess up. You know what I'm saying? We can't call you a saint until you're dead. Because, and then we'll look at your life. And if your life looks like a life of a saint, then we'll call you a saint. But that's not what Paul did here, is it? He called living people saints. 
You living people at this church who call on Jesus' name, Jesus Christ, you're saints, you're set apart. So now act like it. And, and it's a risky thing to do because if I call myself a saint, you call yourself a saint, but we go out and we do stupid things, then we make a mess out of it and we make a mockery of our faith. And so this is, so there's a great deal of risk, but this is what Paul, Paul's doing this. He's willing to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, these people who are screwy and weird, they are still set apart and meant to be for the sole purpose and use of God and, and God alone. And so we don't say, you know, uh, yeah. And he goes on to say, together, in Christ Jesus called to be saints, together, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clear that he's calling these people saints and saints is, is a derivative of sanctified, okay? Hagios, which means most holy thing, a saint. That's what that means. The Bible says that a saint is those, all of those who in every place, so no matter where you are, including shots, in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Again, those people in Corinth who, yes, they're going to make a lot of screw mistakes and they're going to make a mess out of it. They're not supposed to because they're supposed to be set apart. They're supposed to be saints and they're still called saints. But all of those who in every place call upon the name Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is some other verses to think about. This is what you are in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.21. Who do you think Paul is talking about here? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, who do you think Paul is talking to? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Oh, same word, sanctified, to be set apart. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 17.17, 17, what is essential for sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay? So people who are sanctified, church people meeting together, you know, not necessarily in buildings, but together as people are people who are called, meant to be sanctified, set apart, different. And, and the source of that is the truth, which comes from the word of God. Galatians 2.20, what does all, or what, does the life of the saint look like? Okay, this is interesting. What does it look like to be a saint? I have been crucified with Christ, okay? It looks like that, being crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Second Corinthians 5, 17, what does the life of a saint look like again? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it's a different thing. It's set apart. There's a change. There's something distinctively different. And so, again, I guess as, as, as fellow saints, 
we should ask ourselves, what does that look like? What does that mean to be different, to be set apart? Let's read, um, wait. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 1 to 3. No, that's not right. It's not 1 to 3. We're gonna read 4 to, 4 to 6. Four to nine, four to nine. So let's read First Corinthians four to nine. I forgot to change the address on that slide. Four to nine. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you, I'm sorry, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and all your knowledge. Now pay attention to this guys. This is really awesome stuff here, okay? We're setting up on, on in a really positive way. This journey into Corinth is setting up in a very positive way. We've already talked about saints. Now he's got this great deal of thankfulness, thankfulness to God because of these things. First of all, the grace of God. Second of all, you've got this enrichment by this ability to speak and to know. Okay, And because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Okay, So this fact that Christ is with the people who are set apart in Corinth. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. There's nothing lacking as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. Okay, we're gonna stop there. That's gonna be the last little bit we're gonna dissect and then we're gonna be finished for this morning. But man, oh man, what a lot of stuff that's in there. What a lot of stuff that's in there. And there it is. I kind of bullet pointed it for us so we can kind of just look at it in one glimpse up on that screen. But we just read this. God, of the grace of God. I kind of look at this as kind of summarizing the grace of God because how graceful is God that he give us something we don't even deserve. And one of it is he's enriched us. He's enriched your speech knowledge. It should be your. I had a couple typos in here. But so he has enriched us with speech and knowledge. Think about that. He's given us this, 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 this enrichment. We're rich with our language, with our ability to speak and articulate. He says to the disciples, don't worry about when you go out and, and people start asking you and putting you on trial for your faith. I'll give you the words I will give you the words. He's enriched our speech. And that also fundamentally means he's given us a special kind of knowledge. Because you, you, you can't speak without knowing out of the, the, the heart, the soul, the bosom of the, of, the, of the person, the mouth speaks. So we have to, it's not idle words. It's not a, a, a spirit speaking through us in some kind of a weird kind of demon possession or, or spiritual possession If that. It's an actual knowledge. You know it, it's a part of who you are. That's awesome. That's the grace of God. But, so we're not lacking in anything, in any spiritual gift, he says. We're not lacking in anything. We're waiting for Christ's return. That's the thing that we do. We continue to wait. We talk about what it means to wait, to have that disposition of waiting. You know, We don't give up on waiting. We continue to wait in Christ's return. And through that, Christ will sustain. So this sustaining, you're free from guilt forever. Forever, you're free from guilt forever. Free from guilt, where's guilt come from? Guilt comes from, from crime, 
from, from error, from mistakes, from, from moral, ethical wrongdoing, from criminal wrongdoings of all kinds of sorts. But with Christ, we're free from the guilt that comes from the wrongdoing. You can trust in God that he has a place for you in his kingdom with his son. So just really quick, I wanna just look at some of these definitions that we were looking at. Just really quick, okay? And some of these words you'll be familiar with because they're, they're very repetitive in the scriptures. Speech and knowledge is the first one. We, we know these ones, we've seen it before. You got logos, something said, okay, including the thought by implication, a topic, a subject of discourse, also reasoning, the mental faculty. So we're talking about the speech and knowledge. The speech part is from reasoning. Like I said, it's not just being possessed. You don't go into automation and let some spiritual force speak through you. It, comes from you. It's who you are, fundamentally. By extension, a computation. Again, it's in your brain. It's in your mind. It's inputs and outputs. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next word, okay? Gnosis. Gnosis. Knowledge signifies in general intellect. Understanding the general knowledge of Christianity, the deeper, more perfect and enlarged knowledge of this religion, such as such as belongs to the more advanced, especially of things lawful and unlawful for Christians, includes moral wisdom, such as seen in right living. I like this. It's the spirit of God engaging with others in fellowship, engaging with the truth from the word of God that gives us an, an advanced ability to know things that are lawful and unlawful, things that are right or wrong, that's what moral wisdom means, understanding what ought to be and what ought not to be. This is God's grace that he's given to us, guys. We're not lacking, okay? We might be waiting, but that's okay because God's gonna sustain us, but we're not lacking. The word lacking, okay? Very interesting word, okay? Behind, okay, this is the lacking, behind, to come late or too tardy, to be left behind in the race and so fail to reach the goal. So it's like, ah, I missed the bus. That's what the lacking means. You know, I've, ah, I've, I've, mm, I dropped my, my guard here, you know, and I failed as a consequence to fall short. Metaphor, fail to become a partaker to fall back from, to be inferior in power, influence, and rank of the person, to be inferior to, to fail, be wanting. Okay, in Christ, that's not possible. That's a part of God's grace. In Christ, this is not possible. You don't miss the bus, okay? You might feel, and I think sometimes things that we do give us a sense of guilt, and this is why he's talking about being free from guilt. It's, no, that's not, you might feel that way, but you, you need to surrender that to God. You know, in Christ, you're not lacking. You know, you haven't missed the bus. You haven't missed it, okay? Waiting, waiting. It's a big word. Apokadehomai, okay? And here's another word, astiduously and patiently waiting for. Astiduously and patiently waiting for. Who's that? It's Christ. Now, astiduously is, is an adverb, which is a word we may not use commonly. So I define that as well, with great care and perseverance. So we, with great care and perseverance, we're, takes care. So we're, we're not careless, but we're holding on to the truth of God's word, patiently waiting for him to return. While we're waiting, he's sustaining, okay? Babayo, kind of funny words like baby, babayo. 
to make firm, establish, confirm, to make sure. And that's what he's, he's establishing us. As we wait patiently, as we wait with great care, as we wait with perseverance, as we wait with patiently, we're not missing the bus. We haven't missed it. He hasn't forgotten about us, but instead he does the exact opposite. He establishes us. And again, free from guilt. Free from guilt. Okay, the phrase free from guilt that cannot be called into account. Unreprovable, unaccused, blameless. That's, again, the grace of God. This is what we have as saints. This is the grace of God. Trust. This does. This is where we may see from time to time. Trusty, trusty, faithful. Of persons who show themselves faithful. Now, this, again, guys, this is not Paul talking about us. We're not necessarily trusty, faithful people. This is, he's talking about God. This is how we know that we can be free from guilt and how we know that we can be established and how we know that we haven't missed the bus because not of our own trusty faithfulness, but because of God's trusty faithfulness. It's his person is faithful in execution of commands, the discharge of official duties. One who kept his polite faith worthy of trust that can be relied on. And then lastly, a place, a place, fellowship, okay? We know this word because we, we do this every Sunday, don't we? Uh, koinonia, yeah, that's that word, koinonia, koinonia, fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, fellowship, fellowship with God and his son, which is kind of what we want. And this is why they call us Christians, because we want to be associated. We want to have this communion or this joint participation with Christ. That's why they call us Christians. So here's our final slide. And this is food for thought about what we've looked at in 1 Corinthians. I know we visited Acts just briefly, but just gathering information from these saints, these people, this church in this crazy city called Corinth. These are some things that we need to think about. As we leave here, uh, are you a saint? Now, I guess it can be phrased, do you not know that you're a saint? You know, have you embraced the fact that you're a saint? You know, because maybe we should start living in, in, in light of that fact as opposed to like chasing, chasing something. Live in light of, live, consider yourself a saint. Now live in light of that. You, have you experienced God's grace? Have you experienced, well, that's another silly question. Maybe I should have phrased this as saying, you know, um, are you aware of God's grace in your life? You know, because <laughs> I'm sure we've all experienced it, but sometimes it's hard to identify these experiences. Like this is how I've experienced God's grace. We have. So it's silly to ask, have you experienced God's grace? Of course you've experienced God's grace. We've been talking about this all morning. You have experienced God's grace, but can you identify God's grace in your life? That's a better question. And if you can, then do it. Stop it and just do it. Start keeping track of how much God has done for you and how his grace is so good. Paul just did it. You can do it too. How do you use your enriched speech knowledge? This is a great question. How do you use your enriched, your you know, speech and knowledge? Do you bless 
or do you curse? The reason why I say that is because sometimes Christians in Christian circles, they have this, 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 this charm, this cheeky charm that comes across as, as, as wit and it's cutting and it's ruthless. And it's like, oh, I know who you are. Oh, I know what you've done. And, and, and we feel like there's certain people in the church, I feel like they're the, like the Christian police, the Gestapo, you know, and they, and, they, and they show you how you've messed up. And now that's using your enriched speech. That's fine and your knowledge, but I don't think that's doing it to bless others. I think it's doing it to curse others. And maybe that should be stopped. Do you know that you are not lacking in anything? That's funny. Do you feel like you're lacking in something? Well, well get over it. You're not lacking. You're not lacking. You've, you, you've, God has literally given you everything you need. Embrace it. Appreciate it. Give thanks for it. Waiting for Christ's return? Yeah, so am I. That's okay. Christ will sustain you. You are free from guilt. You might still, I love what Francis Schaeffer said. There's two different forms of guilt. There's the state of guilt and there's the feeling of guilt. Okay, write that down. The state of guilt and the feeling of guilt. With Christ, the state of guilt is removed. Therefore, you're no longer guilty. The state, you know, you're no longer guilty. But sometimes because of the way the human mind and soul, the biology of who we are, the feelings of guilt kind of lingers. And you might feel guilty about things you've done in the past, even though the state, the actual, you know, the condemnation, if you will, has been removed. So what you need to do is live your life to the fullest. Hey, don't hold back because of your feelings. You can, excuse me, I burped. You can trust in God, okay? Because he's trustworthy. He's faithful, pistos, he's faithful. He has a place for you in his kingdom with God. His son.